Welcome to Who is Jesus, a limited edition podcast by Central Western Church in St. Louis. Each week, we explore a different aspect of Jesus' life, identity, self-understanding, and purpose in the world. Our goal is to look beyond the hot takes to the historical sources themselves in order to see more clearly who Jesus is and why it matters for us. For more information about Jesus or about Central West End Church, please visit www.centralwestendchurch.com. And now, please enjoy this week's episode of Who is Jesus? Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 to chapter 4, verse 11. Then Jesus came from Galileo to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to this holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. The word of the Lord. Have you ever noticed that as human beings, we are hardwired for meaning? If some tragedy strikes, almost instinctively we ask, why did this happen? What does it mean? And it's not just tragedy. One of the very first videos to go viral on YouTube all the way back in 2010 was the double rainbow man. He walks out of his home in Yosemite and sees a vivid double rainbow stretched out before him and he just starts flipping out. He's like, oh my gosh, it's a full-on double rainbow all the way across the sky. 
He's so overwhelmed by the beauty of it, he starts weeping uncontrollably. But then he asks the question, what does this mean? In fact, he says it several times, somebody tell me what this means. And as funny as that video is, it points to something unique about us as human beings. We are incurable meaning makers. I guarantee you that bears and bunny rabbits do not sit at the edge of forests staring at rainbows asking themselves, what does this mean? But we do. We long for meaning, and especially as human beings, we long to know, who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose? In fact, many of the mental and emotional health struggles we're dealing with today are tied to the lack of a satisfying answer to those questions. We're always looking for meaning, for identity and purpose, but so much of the time it feels so elusive. Every once in a while, we'll get just a glimpse or a hint of it, but the moment we realize what's happening, it's already gone. It feels like all we're ever hearing is echoes of a voice, but never the voice itself, like we're cut off from it. Do you ever feel that way? Why is that? What does that mean? Does it mean anything? Or are we humans just seriously deluded, going on and on about something that doesn't even exist? But what if it does exist? What if the meaning we're looking for really is available, no matter how cut off from it we feel? We're in a series where we're looking at different aspects of who Jesus is. There are a lot of opinions about Jesus out there, but we want to come to a truer understanding of him so we can more fully receive what Jesus has to offer. And wherever you're at spiritually, today we're looking at an aspect of Jesus that frankly is not very well understood. But if we don't see this about Jesus, then we're not seeing Jesus as he is. What do I mean? Let's take a look at this passage and see three things. First, the story Jesus relives. Second, the invitation Jesus offers. And third, the failure Jesus redeems. Okay? First, the story Jesus relives. And let me start with a question. If you want to understand someone or something, does context matter? For instance, if you want to understand the story of Stranger Things, does it matter to know the backstory of Eleven? Or if you want to understand the story of Star Wars, does it matter to know Darth Vader's backstory? In fact, let's raise the stakes a little. Langston Hughes was one of our greatest American poets. He once wrote a poem called Tired. It says, I am so tired of waiting, aren't you, for the world to become good and beautiful and kind. Let us take a knife and cut the world in two and see what worms are eating at the rind. Now, can we understand this poem as a general statement about our troubled world? Sure. But do you think it matters to understand his context of racial injustice in early 20th century America? I would suggest that if we don't take that context into account, then we are not hearing everything Langston Hughes is saying. Or even at a personal level, have you ever been misunderstood by someone because they took your words out of context? How does that feel? It's awful. So here's why all of this matters for understanding Jesus. The passage we read includes two very famous episodes from Jesus' life. When he begins his public ministry, one of the first things Jesus does is he gets baptized by John the Baptist. And as soon as he comes up out of the water, the voice of God comes from heaven and says, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. And right after that is another episode that's maybe even more famous. The Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the desert for 40 days where he's tested by the devil. Now, 
in our modern Western world, we don't really know the Bible very well. And I don't want to make any assumptions, but if you are a little bit familiar with the Bible, does any of this sound familiar? It should. In fact, bells should be ringing. Ding, 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 ding. Hello. Why? Well, in order to find out, let's highlight just a couple of other events from Jesus' life that we didn't read this morning. Right before this, we're told that when he was a baby, Jesus' family took him to Egypt to escape death. But once the threat had passed, God called them back out of Egypt. And Matthew, the gospel writer, says, So was fulfilled what the Lord said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. And not long after the passage we read, Jesus chooses 12 of his followers and appoints them to a special leadership role called apostles. The significance of this would have been glaringly obvious to anyone in his original audience. They would have known the story of Jesus is the story of Israel. That in his life and person, Jesus is reliving the story of Israel. How does that story go? Well, if you go back and you read it, it says, the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt. But God tells Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. That's from Exodus chapter 4. So God brought Israel out of slavery in Egypt. Out of Egypt I called my son. Now, you know how we were just talking a little bit ago about how important it is to understand the backstory of something? This is Israel's backstory. It's called the Exodus. And right after they came out of Egypt, the armies of Pharaoh were hunting them down. But God parted the waters of the Red Sea, and Israel passed through the waters into safety. But when Pharaoh's army went in after them, God drowned them in the water. Israel passed through the waters that were judgment for Egypt, but new life for them. And then God led them into the wilderness for 40 years where they were tested. And then when they finally got to the promised land, God settled them in the land according to the 12 tribes of Israel. Are you starting to see a little bit more clearly? In his life and person, Jesus is reliving the story of Israel. So here's what this means so far. Remember last week we mentioned that about 80% of the books written about the, quote, historical Jesus are written by professional historians who aren't really interested in the theological claims about Jesus. Their main job as historians is simply to find out what can we know about Jesus with reasonable confidence. And almost unanimously, historians pay attention to the fact that Jesus is consciously and purposefully reliving the story of Israel, and we won't understand who Jesus is and what he was up to in this world unless we pay attention to it too. For instance, most historians will say that we can be reasonably confident that, yes, Jesus was baptized at the River Jordan by John the Baptist. They'll also say, yes, Jesus almost certainly called 12 apostles as a way of intentionally evoking the 12 tribes of Israel. And if we don't take that context into account, then we're not really seeing Jesus. In other words, we are not at liberty to just say whatever we want about Jesus because it happens to fit our own personal narrative. In the same way that we're not at liberty to say whatever we want about Abraham Lincoln just because it happens to fit our own personal narrative. It would be like someone introducing themselves to you and saying, Hi, my name is Bill, and you saying, Oh, very nice to meet you. But I would prefer to call you Joe because that fits my personal narrative about you. Bill would rightfully say, well, you're obviously not interested in really knowing me, but have a lovely day. Friends, 
One of the most important things about Jesus is that he is reliving the story of Israel. If we don't see that about him, we're not seeing him. But the question is, why is he doing this? What does this mean? Well, that leads to our next point. We've just seen the story Jesus relives. But secondly, we need to look at the invitation Jesus offers. One of the other big things historians point out is that Jesus is not just reliving the story of Israel individually. He's calling his followers into the same story. And not just Jews, but all people throughout all time in history to be a part of the story of Israel. Now, what does that mean? Be a part of the story of Israel. Well, at one level, we could simply think of the story of Israel as a metaphor or a symbol of some deeper spiritual truth. That's a pretty common narrative you hear frequently. All religions basically teach the same thing. Don't get hung up on the details. Those are just metaphors pointing to a deeper reality. For instance, the Broadway show The Book of Mormon is about two Mormon missionaries who go to Africa. Unfortunately, only one of them actually knows what their religion teaches, and he gets discouraged and leaves. So when the people ask the other guy, hey, what does your religion teach? He has no idea. He just makes up a bunch of crazy stories. In fact, they're obscene and crude, but that's the point of the show. Because at the end, when all the crazy stories turn out to be a fraud, there's one character, a woman named Nabalungi, and she's heartbroken because she actually believed it. So all of her friends come and say, listen, you didn't really believe all that stuff, did you? None of it's actually true. It's a metaphor. All prophets always speak in metaphors. The message of the whole show is that if you take these crazy religious stories too literally, they'll turn you into a fool and a bigot. But if you understand it's just a metaphor, you can take the basic message and apply it to your life to become a better person and make the world a better place. So is that all Jesus is doing? Is he just giving us metaphors that point to a deeper reality? Many people would say, yes. The problem is the story of Israel, which is really the main storyline of the whole Bible, simply refuses to cooperate with that narrative. For instance, Jesus talked incessantly about something called the kingdom of God. Now we could say, well, that's a metaphor for a deeper spiritual reality. But I hope you're starting to see by now how important it is for us to check our assumptions and learn to ask the question, wait a minute, what did Jesus mean by that? When Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, he was tapping into the main storyline of the whole Bible, and it goes like this. In the beginning, God created this world to be a place of goodness, wholeness, beauty, and perfection. But then humanity rebelled against God, and as a result, everything started falling apart. So now we live in a war with a world of war and poverty and racism, of disease, natural disasters, and death. What does God do about this mess of the world? Well, Genesis chapter 12, it's one of the most pivotal chapters in the Bible. In Genesis 12, God calls Abraham to be the father of the nation of Israel. He promises Abraham saying, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. Now, why does God say this? Well, what God says next changes history. He says, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Do you know what this is? It's a dramatic rescue mission. Israel is part of God's universal mission to bring universal blessing to all the nations of the world. You know how our culture puts immense value on things like multiculturalism and inclusion? Do you know where that vision comes from? Genesis 12. 
It's a multi-ethnic, multicultural story of rescue and renewal for the whole world. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, that's the story he's talking about. And he's inviting everyone, including you and me, to be a part of that story. So notice at the end of his temptation in the desert, when the devil tries to get Jesus to worship him, Jesus quotes the book of De Deuteronomy, which says, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now that word serve is a key word. When Israel was in slavery, all the way back in Exodus 1, it tells us over and over again that they were serving Pharaoh, serving Pharaoh, and they were serving Pharaoh with hard service. But then, remember what we saw God says to Pharaoh? He says in Exodus 4, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. In other words, God is saying, Israel, I want to free you, rescue, heal, and renew you. But not so you can go your merry way and live however you want, but as part of my mission, as a way of serving me, uh, that's part of my mission to free and rescue and heal and renew the whole world. So friends, let's put everything together that we've seen so far. You know what all of this means? It means the story of Israel is not a metaphor, it's a mission. God's multi-ethnic, multicultural mission to bring healing, rescue, and renewal to the whole world. And it's completely unlike anything you'll read in any other religious text in the world. But don't just take my word for it. For instance, Chaturvedi Badrinath was an Indian scholar of world religions and also a devoted Hindu. He was very close friends with a British missionary to India named Leslie Newbigin. They were talking once about the Bible, and here's what Chaturvedi Badrinath said to Leslie Newbigin. He said, the Bible is not a book of religion. We have plenty of books of religion in India. We don't need any more. I find in your Bible a unique interpretation of universal history, the history of the whole creation and the history of the human race. That is unique. There is nothing in the whole religious literature of the world to put alongside it. Now that is an amazing statement coming from someone who knows what he's talking about. And understand, he didn't believe Christianity, but he understood what it's claiming, that the story of Israel is not a metaphor, it's a mission. It's God's multi-ethnic, multicultural mission of healing and renewal to the world. Jesus not only relives the story of Israel, he's inviting us into that story, and that leads to our last point. We've seen the story Jesus relives, and we've just looked at the invitation Jesus offers. But lastly, we need to look at the failure Jesus redeems. Because here's the question. If the Bible tells the story of God's rescue mission through the story of Israel, why, doesn't, why does Jesus need to come and relive the story? The answer is because the original Israel wasn't up to the mission. They were led into the wilderness for 40 years to be tested so that they could serve God. But Israel failed the test. And that was just the beginning. Instead of serving God in his mission, Israel started serving false gods like politics, power, prosperity, pleasure, fame, status, influence, all the things we serve. And these gods brought them into even deeper bondage, not just political and national bondage, but spiritual bondage. So by the time Jesus showed up, they were in even more desperate need of rescue and renewal. And when we serve the same gods, and we do, then we're in bondage too. And we are in just as desperate need of rescue and renewal. Think about our need for meaning that we were talking about at the beginning. How do you find meaning? 
Two of the biggest things that give us a sense of meaning in this world are, number one, a sense of identity. Who am I? And number two, a sense of purpose. Why am I here? When you have a secure sense of identity and a satisfying sense of purpose in this world, then you have meaning. But what do you need to have a sense of identity and a sense of purpose? You need to be part of a story. Identity and purpose only have meaning within a story. And here's the crucial bit. It has to be a story bigger than you. Which means that we modern Western people are really in a conundrum because our culture tells us that there is no God and therefore there is no bigger story and there is no ultimate meaning. Which means the only story is the story you write for yourself and the only meaning is the meaning you create for yourself. And listen, if there is no God, then that really is about as good a response as any. And yet, I would suggest that one of the big reasons we modern people feel so empty and anxious is because our individual stories are not nearly big enough to sustain the infinite meaning our hearts are created for. It's like trying to survive in a desert on just a few measly drops of water. Real meaning requires a story that's bigger than you, and we don't have that. For instance, why is nostalgia such a powerful force in our culture? like nostalgia for Y2K. I just read an article this past week about how many Gen Zs are buying 20-year-old digital cameras and posting those photos online, even though the photos are more grainy and blurry than our modern phone cameras. Why? It's because that's what photos looked like 20 years ago during Y2K. And for many people, that feels more authentic and special than our lives in this world, which feels empty and meaningless. And so in the article, it talks about a 22-year-old young woman who's a model in New York City, but she takes these grainy, overexposed photos of herself that look like models from 20 years ago, because when she does that, she says, it makes me feel like I'm them. That means even if you're a model in New York City, our modern world doesn't give us a story that's big enough to give us the meaning, identity, and purpose we long for. But Jesus can, and he does, by coming down into our story so that he can lift us up into his story. Look at how he does that. You know, many people get confused about why Jesus needed to be baptized. Baptism is an expression of repentance for sin and the need of forgiveness so we can have new life. Why would Jesus need that? I mean, he's supposed to be the sinless son of God. Especially when Jesus comes out of the water after his baptism and the voice of God comes out of heaven and says, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I mean, talk about a secure sense of identity. Why would Jesus need to be baptized? The answer is, he doesn't need it, but we do. And when Jesus did it, he was identifying with us in our need. Jesus comes all the way down into our story, identifying with us in our need of rescue so that we could be lifted up into his story and identified with him as a beloved child of God. Are you starting to see? Jesus relives the story of Israel. And in the wilderness, Jesus passes the test that Israel failed, the test we all fail. You know what the real temptation in the desert was? The devil was saying, Jesus, I'll give you fame, honor, glory, power, influence, and might, and you don't even have to die to get it. The real temptation was to get all the glory without going to the cross. But Jesus didn't come for worldly glory. He came for you and me. 
because the cross is the ultimate exodus and the ultimate story Jesus came to live. The Israelites went into the flood waters, fleeing from their pursuers, and God brought the flood down on the heads of their enemies so they could cross over into new life. But Jesus perished in the flood waters of the cross so we could be rescued from the enemies of sin and death and cross over into new life. Friends, on the cross, all the torrents of God's judgment on evil, sin, and death came down on Jesus' head so that all the waves of God's love could be poured out on our heads. So if you're exploring or questioning faith in Jesus, I want to encourage you to consider that you will not understand Jesus unless you take him in his context. Not however you prefer to see him, but how he actually presents himself to our world. You need to see Jesus reliving, redeeming, and rewriting the story of Israel. It's not a metaphor. It's the story of God's mission in this world to bring rescue and renewal to this world. And if you are a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage all of us to keep asking ourselves questions like this. Where am I looking for identity? Is it in Jesus or, it is, or is it in something else? And by the way, that doesn't mean that all the other parts of our lived reality in this world aren't real or that they don't matter. Your ethnic identity, your culture, your gender, your sexuality, even your trauma, all of those things are still real, they still describe you, and they are still a part of your lived experience, but none of them define you. Christ alone defines you. So ask ourselves, where am I looking for identity? Ask ourselves, where am I looking for meaning and purpose in this world? Is it in God's story, or is it in some other story I'm writing for myself? Friends, the only meaning, identity, and purpose that will endure is in Jesus because it's the only real story and the only story big enough to sustain the infinite meaning your heart was created for. Are you finding it in Him? The story of Israel is not a metaphor, it's a mission. It's the story of Jesus bringing rescue and renewal in this world. Are you a part of that story today? Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for creating this world in goodness and wholeness and beauty. We confess to you and lament to you that we have um, rebelled against you and, and that be, because of our rebellion, Father, all of this world is falling apart. But we thank you also that you sent Jesus into this world to live the life we should have lived and to die the death we should have died and that through your life and your death and your resurrection from the dead, we can have new life through you. Jesus, thank you for passing the test that we failed and for giving us new life as a result. We pray that you would help us to see you ever more clearly as you really are, especially as you relive and redeem and rewrite the story of Israel for us and invite us into that story. Help us to live that story faithfully today, for we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Who is Jesus? For more information about Jesus or about Central West End Church, please visit www.centralwestendchurch.com.